This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Calendar. Let's be real. Running a household can be exhausting and chaotic. And finding the perfect Mother's Day gift, it's not exactly a no-brainer. Until now. The Skylight Calendar is the best way to organize the family and give everyone, especially mom, some peace of mind to enjoy the things that matter most. The Skylight Calendar is a smart, touchscreen calendar that keeps track of and manages the chores, dinner planning, groceries, and to-dos for the whole family. The Skylight Calendar automatically syncs each family member's digital calendars and displays them all together on one color-coded touchscreen. It even doubles as a digital picture frame, so you can finally share all those special moments that are just sitting on your phone. As a limited time offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightcal.com slash easy. Hey, I'm Sarah Bivens. And I'm Matthew Bivens. And this is the Doing It at Home podcast, the only podcast dedicated to empowering, loving, and honest conversations around home birth. What started as a fun way for us to document our own home birth journey has turned into a platform for sharing birth stories, resources, and education with the goal of empowering mamas and families to make the birth decisions that work best for them. Plus, we get into the antics, breakdowns, and breakthroughs of our own experience of marriage and parenthood. All right. You ready, babe? Yep. Let's do it, mama. Hey, guys. Welcome to the Doing It at Home podcast. It's another birth story, so gather around. And we are chatting with Isis Rose today about her home birth story of her daughter, Zena. And this is a really great episode to share just a few highlights with you and things to kind of get you primed and prepped. She comes from a very academic perspective. She herself is a PhD student and a doula studying birth and reproductive justice. So she looks for that evidence. She looks for that information. She does the research. So for those of you with that type of approach, this is really great for you to key in on and listen to and get her perspective. And also her husband is a fellow academic. Her husband, Chris, is a professor. So a very academic, studious family, as you can see. But we get to learn about her process and planning for home birth, also her decision to not share the intention to home birth with any friends or family. And we talk about the legality and the costs and the all that stuff associated with direct entry midwifery and its illegal or legal status in different states across the country. And it was really important for Isis to have the support she really needed to do things her way. And I just love that. And there's also a little twist in the immediate postpartum, which presents a circumstance and grants the opportunity for Isis to see how she wants to respond in it and how she wants to be and take control of her birth, of her process, of her experience. So, so much magic in this conversation. Really excited to bring it to you. Real quick before we do, this episode is brought to you today by our sponsor, Milk and Honey Breast Milk Jewelry. So thank you so much to them. Milk and Honey is, gosh, it's so hard to even put it into a few words, but it is the best way, in my opinion, to commemorate the breast 
breastfeeding journey, to have a physical memento of your experience of breastfeeding in the form of a handcrafted, custom-made piece of jewelry, whether that's in the form of a ring, a necklace, earrings. The sky's really the limit. If you can kind of think of it, they can do custom orders, all that great stuff. So go to milkandhoney.jewelry, all written out, milkandhoney.jewelry to check out all of what they've got going on there. Learn more about breast milk jewelry, what it is, how you can do it, what your options are. You know, for those of you mamas who have stopped breastfeeding but might still have it in the freezer, you can totally use that. It doesn't have to be fresh milk and you just send off the sample. They create your piece and they send it back to you. And they can hold your milk on stock, you know, for future any sort of other things you want to create in the future. Uh, Use the code D-I-A-H when you place your order and you'll receive 15% off of your order. So again, milkandhoney.jewelry. Use the code D-I-A-H for 15% off of your order. And Bears mentioning that the co-owner, co-founder of the company is a doing it at home mama, Maria Mangle from episode way back when early on in the in the show, we had her on to talk about her doula work and to talk about her births. And she and her her friend just created this company as a way to work hard about things that they're passionate about, create beautiful things and show their daughters some cool stuff that they're up to. So love that we're collaborating with them. Thank you so much again to Milk and Honey and go check it out. All right. With any further, without any further ado, here is Isis Rose's birth story. Hi, Isis and Chris. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having us. We feel welcome. <laughs> oh, you are so welcome. Thank you for joining us. We're an honor to have you both here, and we're super excited to hear your birth story. Yay. So can you <laughs> kick us off um, with just telling us a little bit about you guys? You want to go first? Of course. <laughs> so uh, my name is Isis. I am a fourth-year PhD student at the University of Illinois. Uh, we live in central Illinois right now. Uh, I actually moved here from Atlanta, where I know you guys live now. Um, and, yeah, it's, uh, I'm a mother of one. <laughs> She's three months now. I guess I'll, I'll start with that and let Chris introduce himself. Okay. Uh, my name is Chris Kinson. I am a uh, visiting assistant professor in the Department of Statistics at University of Illinois. Um, I'm from Georgia as well, but I'm from Southwest Georgia, Albany, Georgia. Um, yeah. Uh, and we live here in, in Illinois, in Urbana, and uh, we like it. That's awesome. I love it. So I'm... I'm off the bat really excited because you two are some serious academics coming to this conversation. And I think this will be beautiful for those out there who have, you know, preconceived notions or things around home birth, um, who don't equate it with that at all, or see people, um, you know, in your spaces choosing something like home birth. So this is a great one for Mm -hmm. those out there who think, you know, bring in the hippy dippy conversation. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which I'll be honest, that's, that was my perception of home birth. I thought people who who were home birthers were like, I don't know, lived in communes and played drums outside. And But here you are. You guys are oh, wow. super smart academics, and you chose this, right. this path for yourselves. So, so you helped to bust well, down some know, stereotypes. Hippy-dippy and academics aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> 
Wow, we've kicked we've this one off really great. We've definitely our fair share of, of academics with flair, especially in anthropology. But, you know, like you said, home birth is for everyone, so to speak. Um, yeah, and, and, and it's, been, it's been awesome because, you know, being an academic, there's, you know, this ultimate quest for truth and everyone has competing knowledge claims and, you know, there are stigmas associated with home birth because it's associated with people that might not be operating out of a place of like intellect or, you know, informed. Right. People aren't informed and that sort of thing. And so, um, you know, kind of going into my research area a little bit, I think that's why um, this has been such a, you know, labor of love for me um, pursuing my PhD because my um, research actually centers around birth and reproductive justice. And so being able to kind of look at those competing knowledge claims and see the different types of people invested in thinking about birthing outside of the hospital, um, people invested in raising awareness about the midwifery model of care and how, um, you know, home birth, unassisted birth, free birth, uh, birthing center births, all of those types of births are just as legitimate um, and safe as hospital births. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. That's powerful. I I'm so I want to dive into so many things right now, but I need to keep my mind on track here. <laughs> so I guess how we could start this is where you guys came with the decision to go home birth and how I'm sure it all intertwines with everything you just said. So your work and your studies being involved with that as well. So what's kind of the timeline there? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I entered my program in 2014. And I think probably winter of 2015 is when I decided I wanted to pursue um, a feminist anthropology project, one that focuses on reproduction. And so I was, um, you know, doing research and mining different topic areas and stumbled upon um, a doula, you know, and someone who was very much advocating for doula um, assisted birth. And so I was like, what is a doula? What is that about? And so at the time I was very single and, you know, hadn't even thought about having a baby of my own. Fast forward, I did some preliminary field research um, in my field site, which happens to be New Orleans, Louisiana, and that's where my father is from. And so I ended up uh, participating in two different doula trainings. And by the end of my second doula training, (laughs) I had spent, you know, two weekends with women who were very much um, invested in birth and and doula work and birth work. And I myself have, you know, have also developed a passion in that area as far as um, helping women. But, you know, by the end of it, I was just like emotionally distraught and like, (laughs) but also feeling very... um, I don't even know how to describe it. I just came, something came over me and I felt myself like crying and like really connecting with these women and explaining to them how I was just so um, overjoyed 
thinking about the power of women, you know, thinking about what women's bodies can do, thinking about how healing birth can be for women who have experienced any sort of trauma, you know, survivors of abuse and that sort of thing. And at that time, I was in a relationship and Chris and I were engaged. Um, Our relationship moved pretty quickly. So (laughs) I think that time difference was only about a year. Um, And so anyway, I'm saying a lot of words. Um, But by the end of the second dual training, that's when I decided I really wanted to start a family. Um, And, you know, we talked about children before we got married. And we got married uh, that December. And, um, you know, at that point, I had already known that I wanted to do a home birth. Um, based on the conversations that kind of came up in those doula training spaces um, and just how powerful it seemed to be able to have control over your birth experience. Um, and Chris and I, you know, we um, we didn't necessarily come to that decision at the same time. And I will let him jump in now because I've been saying a lot. So go ahead. So basically, I just knew all of this stuff about birth and home birth. And I just was just kind of standing there on the sidelines thinking, okay, um, sure. You know, I, I don't, I wasn't as informed as she was. And so, um, you know, my coming into the, or, you know, agreeing to, to do the home birth was more so, I think, you know, trusting her and her ability to give birth um, and um, at home, you know, safely and, and trusting you know, that she was like really diligent about, you know, the the process from beginning to end. I mean, she was really um uh you know, she 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 was a driver. I mean she was in full control and I was, you know, really there to support and um just make sure that we we, we you know we had the equipment and we met with the you know midwife and, and all of that just to make sure everything worked um you know worked according to, to her plan, ISIS's plan. That's beautiful. I, I love that. I love that trust and that, I mean, it speaks to the connection and communication between the two of you and what kind of sets and lays the groundwork for the family you're going to build and have built. Um, so then what, what was, um, prenatal care like and in preparation and envisioning for birth? So, yeah, that's kind of an interesting question because you know, <laughs> okay, so let's go back. So in Illinois, it's not um, legal for certified professional midwives to attend home birth. And so getting into that, um, you know, kind of underground midwifery circle took a little bit of time. And, you know, the midwives had to do some vetting on our part to make sure we weren't like, you know, the feds. <laughs> wow. That's and fascinating. So, yeah. <laughs> And so it took a couple of months to get on her calendar. Um, And, you know, I'm a full-time graduate student. And at the time, Chris was also a graduate student. And so I was basically looking at, like, you know, what can I afford as a student on very, like, basic health insurance. And so for a while, you know, I was considering going to the local hospitals and getting prenatal care, but I had already made the decision to very, to, you know, just remove myself from um, medicalized birth <laughs> at like in totality. So I know a lot of people do concurrent care or dual care as they call it. 
um, but I had no interest in establishing a relationship with an OB. And so um, I didn't. And so when I met with, with the midwife, um, she explained, you know, her rates and, and um, that we would have to pay all of, um, for the prenatal care and for the birth out of pocket. And so, like I said, at the time, we were both grad students. And so we didn't have a lot of money. <laughs> and so, um, you know, we didn't really establish prenatal care until several months uh, after we had had that first appointment with the midwife. And so at that point, I was already in my second trimester. And so, um, yeah, I just, I wanted to make that plain because um, I think there's a lot of like intensity around establishing a, a relationship with a provider right away and, and getting checked out and all of that. But I was very confident that we could be fine, you know, doing, you know, prenatal stuff on our own for the first few months until we could afford to pay her. <laughs> and, you know, in the first trimester, you really aren't getting that many um, checkups anyway. So I just monitored my weight and my diet. And then we initiated prenatal care after a few months. I appreciate that um, perspective and you knew what worked for you and what was best for you. And, you know, thinking back to my own experience for a minute, we started with an OB and didn't switch to a midwife until the second trimester when I would say the level of care really actually kind of kicked in and increased because up until that point, we were sitting with an OB for maybe 10 minutes, answering some questions, maybe feel around for a second. But I mean, to kind of your point, not all that much was happening. And, you know, every pregnancy is different. That's going to be different for someone who mm -hmm. maybe needs more care or is in a different type of situation. Right. But if you know where you're at and your current status and your body and just doing what works for you. And I also appreciate sharing, you know, how you made the decision in, in terms of uh, payment and, and making that whole thing. Cause that comes up a lot for women when it comes to home birth, where it might be mm -hmm. covered by insurance, um, what's even legal in some States and then just how, how to navigate that. So I just appreciate you, mm -hmm. you know, sharing what that was like for you guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, I, I did know my body and I, I knew my health history and, I have the fortunate experience of not having had any, um, you know, prior pregnancies or any prior miscarriages or anything like that. And so I didn't have that fear and that concern where I felt like I had to get in the door of a provider right away. And so I, I totally appreciate, you know, other stories where women, you know, they have had um, traumatic birth experiences or pregnancy experiences in the past. And so they need that comfort and that reassurance. But in my case, I just really wanted to do what was best for us. Um, and make sure that we weren't like establishing a relationship where I felt like, oh, well, we have a doctor now, so let's use them or anything like that. You know, I really wanted to stick to the midwife care. Right. What was uh, the response from friends and family? Mm. Mm -hmm. There was no response <laughs> because, <laughs> because we didn't tell them. <laughs> awesome. Uh, we pretty, yeah, we kept it hush hush. I mean, I think there's so much stigma and negativity around pregnancy, just in terms of uh, people have a lot to say, when, especially when they're not the ones going through it at the moment, right? So they, I don't know, it tends to be very, um, people tend to say a lot of unnecessary things. And, um, and so I think we wanted to protect ourselves and, you know, protect ISIS, especially from that kind of uh, behavior and, you know, 
those types of people. So we um, we really didn't tell anybody um, about our <clears throat> about our you know home birth plan mm-hmm. at all. Like yeah. none of it. We didn't really we didn't tell family at all. I think I might have told my sister, and I knew that she wouldn't say anything. <laughs> um, and you know. I did tell some of my friends that are in town because I felt like if anything went haywire, they should know. Um, and I think that didn't even happen until I was like 25 weeks, maybe, um, when I started telling more and more people about my plan to have a home birth. But Chris is right. You know, we didn't want the, the drama. We didn't want people to force us to explain ourselves or put us in that position because we're grown. We're smart. You know, we can make decisions for ourselves. Um, and so we didn't feel the need to really share that part because of the stigmas associated with home birth and the lack of information. Right. And we were informed and I think it's hard to explain to people, or I'm sure it gets frustrating to constantly explain to people that you've met, or even if they're strangers, Hey, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Hey, yeah. Oh yeah. I know what I'm doing too. (laughs) You know, like it's, it's, I'm sure that gets really annoying. And I think we were just trying to you know, avoid that at all costs. Absolutely. So did you have people that asked you, where are you going to be giving birth? Because that was a question that, you know, Sarah and I had to field a couple of times. And um, so it, it, mm-hmm. you end up going down the path, like what you just said, Chris, like, yeah, yeah, we know what we're doing. But did you guys ever have anybody ask you where you're giving birth? And if so, how did you respond? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely people mm-hmm. asked. I'm trying to think about how did we respond. Well, when it did came, when it did come up, I didn't lie. I was just like, yeah, I'm, you know, planning a home birth. Or I would just say, no, I don't have a doctor. Or I'm not working with the mid, the the midwives at this hospital or the doctors at that hospital. I'll just be kind of like opaque about it. But yeah, yeah, because I think I think yeah, because I think the question was it, it wasn't exactly worded as the way you said it. I don't think people were directly asking us. Where are you giving birth at? I think mm-hmm. they were also asking like around it. They would mm-hmm. say something like, or like, who's your you know, doctor? Yeah, like who's your doctor? You know, which hospital are you going? Yeah. Like they were already kind of presuming a lot of information. And so, luckily for us, we didn't have to like <laughs> say too much. We just be like, no, we're not going there, or you know, and, and that mm-hmm. was just kind of it. I was actually um, in a prenatal swim class, and so. Um, I ended up having like a little cohort of women that were also pregnant at the same time, which was really helpful. Um, and the, the swim class was actually at the local hospital. And so everyone in the class, except for myself was planning a hospital birth. Mm. And so it was just really interesting to hear them talk about their experiences with their OVs and, Oh, this week I did the glucose test and this week we did this test and this week we did this vaginal check. And I'm like, just looking at them like, yeah, I didn't do any of that. <laughs> but I didn't actually tell them that I was planning a home birth until my last month of pregnancy. And I was in the, that class for like four months. Yeah, and I think yeah. it's because I just didn't know them. And I didn't really want to, again, put myself in the position to have to tell six people, you know, <laughs> when I'm the only one having a home birth, like why I'm not doing it or even make them feel self-conscious about their decision. Right. I didn't want them to feel weird about their decision to have a hospital birth because I support that too. Mm. Right. Um, so it was just really interesting to be, yeah. you know. It's like, how can we avoid being on the defensive and also on the offensive? Right? Mm-hmm. How can we avoid yeah. both of those and just be like, yep, you're doing your thing, I'm doing my thing, and let's just keep doing that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is a, yeah. a great conversation because I know there's someone listening right now who's feeling, who's who's having that question, you know, how do I tell people? Do I need to tell people? And what I love about this conversation that we're having is is the whole point is you don't have to tell people anything. 
you choose, you know, like you choose what you want to disclose, what you want to share, how you want to share it, you know, and it's, it's all up to you. You don't have to tell your family, your friends, your best friend, Mm -hmm. if you don't want to. And I love that you guys did it in your own way. And you really were, were intentional about how and when you shared. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, I just found it to be kind of a practice for parenting because every parenting decision is not a committee decision. So (laughs) I'm not going to be consulting with random person on the street, number one, about my child. So why why would I incorporate them into my pregnancy experience? Like it doesn't Mm -hmm. make sense, you know? That's such a great point. I love that. I'm going to write that down. And that's going to be one of the quotes of this conversation. Um, <laughs> let's go to birth time and set the scene for us there and kind of walk us through that journey. Okay. Um, this is where Isis really gets her kick. So <laughs> <let her happen>. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. So first, let me also just reiterate that, you know, I think Chris was supportive of the home birth decision, but it took a little bit of encouraging on my side. And so I would periodically have your podcast playing in the background, just so you would kind of like, you know, pick up on the conversations. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to force him to listen to your show, but I was like, maybe he'll just like get interested at some point. And he did. Um, He's not like, oh, not those so, guys again. <laughs> And so setting up birth time. Okay. So um, it's important for me to acknowledge that my midwife was amazing and she, you know, encouraged, she encouraged me to be patient with this pregnancy because I ended up going to 41 weeks and three days, um, which I was not expecting. (laughs) Um, And actually I should also say that, um, we believe my original due date was miscalculated. So it it actually felt like I was going to be pregnant forever. Um, It felt like I had gone over my due date by three weeks by the time I actually gave birth. And so I was definitely running out of patience. Um, And I would also like to say I had a doula for my birth. Um, She was great. She was amazing. And the thing is, she wasn't wasn't actually a a trained doula. She was just somebody that I um, asked to be my doula because I felt like she had the right energy. Um, it was important for me to have a black doula, um, as an African American woman and, um, my provider wasn't black and I felt like that was totally fine, but I needed, I needed that kind of sisterly support. Um, speaking of sisterly support, my sister, we actually had arranged for her to be here after the birth. And so we bought her plane ticket and she showed up on a Tuesday and I was still pregnant (laughs) and she was planning on leaving that Saturday. And, um, that's actually when I had gone into labor. So she was here for the birth. Um, and so that was amazing. And so what else do I need to do to set up birth time? Um, yeah, my midwife was great. My doula was great. My sister was here. Um, we actually planned to have a, a water birth at home. And so um, we did. And uh, maybe talk about that because um, I think a lot of people, well, I don't know, maybe from the videos and, uh, you know, podcasts I've heard, a lot of people, you know, go in thinking that the water birth is this 
you know, very great <laughs> uh, experience, and, or like, or maybe like very like easygoing experience, I should say. And uh, maybe Isis, you should talk about how oh. that wasn't so straightforward. Okay. Well, you know, I guess I can do that. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I feel like we should like. I feel like I want to wait and incorporate that into the birth story because oh, I'm, okay. I'm just, you right. know, well, setting it up. Do you, think? <laughs> <laughs> do you have any more like specific questions before I get into the birth story? No, you're rocking it. Yeah, yeah, go right in. Okay, so, um, yeah, I my due date, my original due date was December 28th, and so December 28th came and went. I was very, very pregnant and very frustrated. But as a doula, I knew it was going to be plus or minus two weeks. And then those two weeks went by and I was still very pregnant. And then my midwife told me on our last prenatal appointment, she was like, you know, um, babies come on their own time. I think your due date was actually January 5th. So there's no need to do any extreme induction methods. You got this. And I told her I was, you know, five minutes away from downing some castor oil. But she encouraged me to not do that. Um, and so our prenatal appointment was January 9th. She told me, you know, there's a storm happening on Monday. That's probably when your baby's coming. And I was like, ha ha, that's funny. <laughs> and so on the 11th was a Saturday. Um, my sister was able to be here. So we, she stayed and we changed her, her ticket. Um, my contraction started two days after my final prenatal appointment. And I was so relieved. And yeah, so 3.30 in the morning, I felt my pressure waves, as I've heard you call them. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I was like, wow, I think this is it. But of course, I didn't want to think it, you know, it was false labor or anything. So I just waited and waited and waited. And I 5.30 rolled around and I started timing the contractions. And I didn't wake up Chris at all during this time. I was like, I'm just going to let him sleep especially because the night before I went into labor, we had an argument, <laughs> um, which may or may not trigger the labor. I don't know. I started the labor process. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and yeah, so I think maybe around six, I finally tapped him and, and said, Hey, I think I'm in labor. I timed the contractions. They're, you know, this many minutes apart. And he was like, oh, okay, cool. And then he went back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And Wake me when there's a baby. <laughs> I, right, exactly. So then I got up. I, like, hopped out of bed. I was so excited. I was like, yes, I'm finally not pregnant. I'm just so uh, ready. She got so glamorous. She, like, got up, went to the bathroom, put on makeup, and took these No, pictures. I didn't put on makeup. Come on. <laughs> did your hair. I did wash my hair, though. She got really fancy because she was like, oh, I got to look good for my for my pregnancy, my, my birth, you know. I took a few selfies. Um, <laughs> I was just, I was so happy to not be, to know I was not going to be pregnant for much longer. And so, you know, that was a few hour process. So that was, you know, around seven or eight, I finally texted my doula and was like, hey, I'm in labor, but don't worry. You know, the contractions are still far apart. I think I'm just going to chill. And so I finally told my midwife I was in labor and she said, okay, we'll just have a normal day. So we had a normal day, hung out with my sister, watched TV. We went to the grocery store. I think I had like three or four contractions in the grocery store before we left. Um, and that was Saturday. 
so then Sunday rolls around and, you know, the pain starts to get more and more intense. And I think maybe around 10 in the morning, I text my doula because I was, you know, I was getting kind of frustrated with Chris. I was like, okay, you're not comforting anymore. You're not really helpful. So I text her at 10 and said, can you just come over? I just really need some new energy in here. (laughs) (laughs) So she came over and she was with me all day and, you know, just, you know, comforting me and pushing all, you know, rubbing all the right spots on my lower back and having me bounce on my birthing ball and just, you know, talking to me. Um, And so around 5 p.m., we finally called my midwife and said that the contractions were getting closer together. Now they're like a minute apart. And um, so she came over and she has an assistant who eventually came maybe like 45 minutes later. And she, she did a vaginal check. And that was the first vaginal, vaginal check I had my entire pregnancy. And she said, okay, well, um, you're like five or six centimeters. I'm really glad you called because I think you're in active labor. And I said, okay, great. And so it was at that time that they filled up the birthing pool, which it seemed like it took forever because at that point, I just, I wanted to be soothed by the water. I wanted that comfort. And so, I don't know, 45 minutes later, (laughs) uh, I finally got in the birthing pool and it was really relaxing. Um, you know, I think I labored in there for, I don't know, two or three hours. It, it felt like a long time. And when I got out, my fingers were wrinkled. So I think I wasn't there a while. Um, and at that point, my um, photographer had gotten there. And so we did have a ph- photographer there and she was taking pictures. And at first it was kind of distracting because the shutter was so loud. But I think eventually I just tuned her out. Um uh, so I think now I'll say that I know that there are a lot of women who, before they're plan- planning a home birth, they do, you know, mindfulness training and they do yoga and all of that. I didn't really have the time or the energy or the budget for that. So I didn't really prepare myself to be mindful. <laughs> but I think it actually happened organically on its own. I was able to um, block out a lot of conversations and um, you sure about noises, that? except for Chris, because he was, you know, he came into the room. I had gotten out of the tub. I was in, I was on the bed. He comes in, in the room, like eating food and it smelled so bad. And I was like, why are you eating right now? I was so mad. But it tasted so good though. It was good for And you were like, she got really angry and like, you know, basically it gave me an ultimatum, like, you know, get out the room or else basically. <laughs> So I, I I hopped out the room and uh, proceeded yeah. to so eat for, my food. For a lot of active labor, it was just me and my doula because Chris was like, he was not very helpful. Like we did a couple of childbirth education classes, but I don't think he in the moment really knew what to do as a dad. I think he was kind of like a deer in the headlights. Okay. Wait. <laughs> okay. Also, wait, let me just say this. And, and I think... Um, um, Matthew. I, I think Matt, Matthew, I think you can help me with this. Uh, I do think that, you know, for, 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 for partners or fathers, um, in, you know, during a home birth, especially, I, I didn't find that there was much for me to do. 
I mean, luckily we had the mid. Uh, I mean, the the doula, so that that was like another person that could tend to ISIS more, you know, carefully. But I felt like there isn't a lot for you know us to do. I felt like you you just kind of, for me at least, I was just kind of sitting there throughout the labor process, trying to stay awake. You know, I was <laughs> I was trying to you know do somewhat supportive things, but I honestly don't think there's much to do when you have already have somebody that's tending to, to the, to the, to the birthing mother, mm-hmm. you know, but I was just kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm here. You know, I was present. That was for me, that was like a lot. It was, it was, Cause it was almost, you know, two whole days of laboring, uh, you know, so I was kind of like just trying to stay awake really. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe you can speak to that, but I, I really honestly feel like there's not a lot to do because, you know, she's just there moaning and, you know, trying to like, you know, soothe herself, you know, through the birthing process. So it's just a long, very long, you know, repetitive kind of uh, time and space. And I mean, I'm not trying to be insensitive, but it, I just don't know if there's a lot for 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 other people to do if you're not giving birth yourself. I just don't think there's much. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, mm. we've, we've interviewed so many couples and... Um, it really, it really comes down to what the mom wants, you know, because sometimes mm-hmm. the, the partner and the dad just chills in the background and that's, that's all they need to do is just to be there, just to be present. Don't necessarily need to be an active participant. And then you have other stories, other couples where, you know, the mom wants the partner to be there, wants them to be hands-on, wants them to be, you know, in the tub with them, wants them to be uh, the, the person that they lean on so that they can, um, you know, just get some comfort to rub their back, all sorts of stuff. And it, it really is unique, you know, for Sarah and I, mm-hmm. I was, I was right there push, putting pressure on her hips, rubbing her shoulders, all of that stuff, because that's exactly what Sarah wanted. But we've heard so many stories where it's funny, you know, the, the, the couples might, plan on being hands-on you know the dad might plan on being hands-on but then as soon as active labor kicks in the dad puts the hands on the mom and she's like don't touch me i don't want to be touched right now (laughs) so it's right yeah that happened at least once yeah yeah yeah. and and like you can prepare in all these different ways but when the moment comes it's just being there and so i think as long as the partner is there and available and doesn't necessarily do things to like mess up the flow and and create some disturbances. I think that's I think that's what she just want to do, and that's what you want to be as a as yeah. a partner. Because you know, like like you were saying, Chris, we aren't the ones who are going through this physical process. You know, we go through our right. own process. Don't get me wrong. Like I was exhausted too. Like you know, you said a lot of your job was just trying to stay awake. I I can relate to that because. You, it, you might be tired, but it's right. just us showing up in, in our own way as best as we can and being there for our partner who's, you know, experiencing this amazing transformation as they become a mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I totally appreciate, you know, him being there. I just, I, in my mind, I imagined it going a little bit differently. <laughs> And I did ask him, I said, do you want to be in the pool with me? And he said, no. And I said, okay. Hey, so I, I don't want to be in the pool. <laughs> so I didn't press the issue, you know. We have boundaries, you know. 
I don't know. I, I've seen enough videos to know that I don't want to be in the pool when <laughs> the real stuff is going down. I'm good. Yeah, what's cool is like, uh, okay. yeah, those are the things that, that couples get to talk about, you know, like you can have those conversations beforehand and set those intentions so that, so the expectation is known. Right, right. exactly. We yeah. definitely had many conversations where we drew those boundary lines and I didn't press him. You know, because birth, birth is sacred, and I think both people should have the experience that they want to have. Yeah. So, Anna, um, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. It's fine. That was a good little tangent. That was beautiful. <laughs> um, I love it. Because there's people out there with those questions. <laughs> They're listening right now that are, you know, wondering these things. And there's partners who don't necessarily know what they are supposed to be doing when, when it's game time. And so it's great right. that we mm-hmm. talk about it. And it's cool to hear how we process and the questions that come up and the emotions that come up because – other people are going mm-hmm. through it too and it's easy to feel right. isolated when you're you know when you're going through your pregnancy but right. these are all shared things like you know we all go through it in, in our way so this is super, super necessary super necessary to talk about and i appreciate you both bringing it up mm-hmm. thank you yeah mm-hmm. yeah so um so after i got out of the pool and did some laboring on the bed and kicked chris out a couple times I um, was checked again, and that was my second and last vaginal check of my entire pregnancy, which I'm very proud of, uh, because I don't think women need to be, you know, having their hands, having other people's hands up their area all the time when it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was seven or eight centimeters, and, you know, I was like, oh, my gosh. And yet, on the one hand, I was encouraged. But on the other hand, I was like, oh, my God, I have two more centimeters to go. <laughs> and so, yeah, I was, you know, something else I want to mention is my entire pregnancy, I was, I had morning sickness. Like, I was nauseous all the time. I threw up a few times. And I knew that I was going to be nauseous during my um, labor process. And so um, that's exactly what happened. So I was actually vomiting the entire time I was in active labor um, just because, you know, obviously it's an unmedicated birth situation and it was just so intense and I was throwing up the whole time and I honestly can't even tell you when my last meal was. Um, so I wasn't even throwing up any solid things. Yeah. It was just like water at one point. Oh, yeah. Yes, exactly. And it was so gross. Yep. And so, you know, it was, it was great to have people um, there and supporting me and holding a bucket under my head and, um, I eventually got back in the in the tub, the birthing pool, because I was determined to have a water birth, determined. So, you know, the first time I got in, I had a tank top on, I had my, you know, sports bra on, and my hair was down and loose. And so when I decided I was, like, really ready this time to get back in the tub, I tied my hair back, took all my clothes off, so I was completely naked you know, walked past the six, you know, five or six people in my house at the time and just got in the pool and was like, you know what, I'm not going to focus on anyone or anything. I'm just going to be in my zone. And I got in the tub. I was, I think I labored for maybe 30 or 45 minutes at this point. And, um, you know, so going back, I think my midwife came around 5 p.m. Um, this is maybe like, you know, 11 p.m. midnight now. So I'm in the tub, and the second time around, it was not as soothing and therapeutic. 
I was actually disappointed because I thought, wow, I was expecting to be really relaxed and like, or really soothed by this water, but I just, it felt kind of like not, it felt the opposite in, in some weird way. And I think that's why Chris wanted me to talk about water birth, because I think there's this fantasy that it's always going to feel good all the time, but it doesn't. Right. Um, and so the second time I got in, I was like, okay, this is not, not as great, but I labored in there for a little while. And then I, I asked my midwife, I said, you know, um, when will I know that it's time to start pushing? <laughs> Cause I had no idea. I didn't know what, what kind of, you know, sensation to expect or anything. And mm-hmm. she said, Oh, you'll know. I started pushing a little bit after that and I think maybe like the second time I pushed I pooped a little bit yeah and so she like scooped you know the poop out um and I thought I was going to be more embarrassed than I was and I definitely was not at that point um embarrassed at all the nice thing about the water is you don't have to smell the poop so you know Okay, go ahead. It, Great was that point. really a concern of <laughs> I just want to add that. And it was rock hard because I was constipated for like, I don't think I went for like a whole week before I gave birth. Oh, man. Um, yeah, anywho. <laughs> so I pooped out a little pebble and then I pushed again. And then when I pushed the next time, my midwife said, are you holding back? And I was like, hmm, and I hold, am I holding back? And so I pushed a lot harder that time. And then I felt the head come down. Wow. And I was like, oh, wow, something's actually happening now. And so the next push, I felt, you know, I could actually touch the head. (laughs) And then when I pushed again, um, that's when her head really started to come through. And so it was definitely the ring of fire that everyone experiences. And it was so painful. And I remember saying, I remember saying, oh, my gosh, I can't do this anymore or something. Like, it was just the most excruciating pain. And so um, then I eventually passed the head. And then on the next push, I could feel the ears. And then on the next push, the the whole baby just just came right out. And so that whole phase only took maybe like 30 or 45 minutes after having been in labor for like 45 hours. Wow. And so I was just, you know, the pain that I felt when I, when the head was coming through, all that pain, all the contraction pain, all the labor pain just dissipated as soon as baby came up. And so I was so, I was so happy. And so I I scooped her out of the water and I just, I was like, oh my God, she's so heavy. (laughs) That's the first thing I said. She was eight pounds, nine ounces when she was born. And we actually didn't know the gender prior to the birth. And so we had been saying they, singular they, the whole time confusing everyone because they thought I was having twins. And I was like, no, singular they, we don't know the sex, (laughs) we're waiting, we have never had an ultrasound, like, you know. And so um, when I scooped her up and I think she was born partially in call, so the midwife was trying to get some of the amniotic sac off of her face. Um, but then she said it just slipped away on its own. And so I picked her up out of the water and they gave me a towel, they wrapped her up and then I flipped the towel back and I was like, Oh my God, you know, and I, uh, assigned a gender. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, they, the midwife had Chris cut the cord and 
I just remember crying and being so happy. And the baby, she came out and she wasn't crying at all. She was alert, just looking around and um, kind of holding her hands like she was having a business meeting. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? I'm here. <laughs> yeah. I had I had Chris uh, share with everyone what we had decided to name her. Mm. And so her name is Zena, um, like the warrior princess. Um, so Zena and then Rose is my last name and Kinson is Chris's last name. So her name is Zena, Zena Rose Kinson. And she was born just after one o'clock on January 15th, which just so happens to be Martin Luther King's birthday. Um, and the day before classes started. <laughs> uh, so Chris had to work the next morning. Wow. Um, yeah. So it was it was quite an experience, and so I don't know how much more time we have, but the postpartum experience was what really um, made this birth memorable. Um, yeah, talk to us about that. So, yeah, so you know, I had a pretty textbook pregnancy. I didn't have any complications or any um, issues come up. I pretty much assigned the label low risk to myself, and then my midwife agreed that I was a low risk birth, you know, candidate. And so um, there weren't any issues outside of like extreme morning sickness and fatigue, um, you know, which is normal. Um, and so when I, when I delivered my own baby, um, you know, I decided after a few minutes after having passed the placenta, it was time to get out of the tub. So I handed my baby to someone so I could, stand up and, and dry off. But as soon as I planted both feet out of the tub, I felt really woozy and dizzy and I could, I could hear a ringing in my ears. And so I told, I told the midwives, I was like, um, uh, I, I don't feel good. I hear a ringing in my ears. <laughs> and they said, okay, get on the ground right now. So I was wrapped up in my towel and I laid a blanket down and I got on the floor. And so they checked me out. Turns out I had a pretty intense tear, but not one that needed stitches. Um, but I was also losing a lot of blood. And so they were working on me and massaging my uterus down and trying to see if um, the blood, the bleeding would stop. And after 30 minutes, it didn't really stop. And I, I still felt dizzy. And so they gave, you know, they busted out the oxygen tank and for some reason, they didn't have the, respir the respirator mask that goes with the tank. And so I was just waving this oxygen under my nose until the oxygen eventually ran out. And so I was just lying on the ground, you know, bleeding heavily. And so they did show some concern. Um, they, they stayed very calm. And they gave me some, some herbs to help with the bleeding. And because I wasn't able to keep anything down, I just vomited, vomited the herbs right back up. And so maybe a little bit of time passed. And then they eventually gave me a shot of Pitocin in my leg to stop the bleeding, um, which I think helped a little bit, but I was still very weak and very dizzy. And so at one point, you know, they were checking the baby out, you know, taking the Abcar Ab scores and making sure she was okay. And she was perfect. Um, and so I told them after having been on the floor for maybe like 
an hour, hour and a half that I was really ready to get in bed. And they were like, okay, well, you've lost a lot of blood and you're still bleeding a little bit. Um, you could go to the hospital. And I said, mm, no, I'm not interested because there was a snowstorm outside. You know, my midwife said the baby would come in inclement weather and that's exactly what happened. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, there was a lot of snow outside. She was completely healthy. And I was thinking like, you know, if we're able to have a conversation, it can't be that big of an emergency, <laughs> or at least that's how I rationalized it in my head. And so I decided I didn't, I decided I didn't want to go to the hospital. My baby was healthy. I wanted her to stay with me. I didn't want to take her to the hospital. Um, and so I, I had to like army crawl into bed because I couldn't walk. And so um, I couldn't even get into bed because that would require standing up. So they blew up an air mattress for me to crawl onto. And so they put me, so I got on the bed, they put the baby next to me and then Chris crawled in next to her. And then we all went to sleep. Mm. And that was like maybe two 30 in the morning. And then right around like five 30 or so I wake up and my midwife is standing in, in the doorway of my bedroom. And I'm thinking like, Oh wow. I didn't even realize she was still here. You know? Um, yeah. They and, all, like, yeah everyone night. stayed like her, the, the assistant, my sister was there my doula was still there. The photographer had left, but, you know, she left after all of that. So she was still there as a support system too. And so I was just amazed that everyone was still there. And she was like, well, yeah, I wanted to make sure you were okay. And I want to, I want to check out your uterus, see, you know, check out the bleeding, see what's going on. And I want you to go to the bathroom. And so I have to like crawl to the bathroom and I get on the toilet and use the bathroom. And then I stand up and I hear, I hear that ringing in, in my ears again. And so I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and so I can, like, feel my head bobbing back and forth. And the next thing I know, the midwife has, like, cracked a stick of ammonia and is, like, waving it under my nose. And so she's like, yeah, let's um, talk about going to the hospital again. <laughs> and I was like, you know... I'm really okay. Like, I think I can do this. You know, I'm, I'm really not interested in going. And at this point, I think my doula and my husband, husband were like five seconds from driving me to the hospital my, themselves. Um, I think they were pretty much concerned at this point because um, this is the time that my midwife actually used the word hemorrhage. And, you know, she was like, I'm not um, used to treating shock at home, but I trust you and I trust that you trust your body. And, you know, your blood pressure is extremely low. Um, but if you if you think you can manage this, then I trust that. And I'll give you a regimen so that you can um, stay here and just rest and, you know, manage this on your own. So, and Chris, yeah, let me, let me was, jump in. Uh, Chris, what was going through yeah. your head with all, when all this was going mm -hmm. on? <laughs> um, wow. Um, I really... I mean, definitely I was still tired. So I kind of, I kind of don't remember what, like what I was really thinking. I think when she had went to the bathroom and had to crawl and, 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 you know, I was there when she, you know, practically fainted and had to, you know, give uh, the midwife gave her the um, ammonia. And so I guess in my head, I was thinking, okay, that's probably not, you know, normal or, you know, in some sense I felt like that was a concern, but I didn't, 
I guess because, you know, it wasn't my body. I wasn't in control. I didn't want to, like, you know, say too much. I wanted to kind of, like, kind of, like, just be patient and just see what, what the medical professional has to say because I didn't, you know, I, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And so, you know, if the midwife was okay with ISIS staying there, I was just kind of going to, I was going to have to, you know, suck it up and just stay, stay there mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, not, not try to force her to do anything. Mm-hmm. But I was definitely nervous, you know, seeing her kind of still woozy after the birth, you know, after the baby seemed, you know, pretty much fine. So I was, you know, definitely concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of all I can remember right now. Yeah, and, you know, again, I was like, well, if no one's called EMS, then maybe I'm okay. (laughs) And, you know, she said that, um, what did she say? She said that, like I said, she doesn't treat shock at home, and she said that I was hypovolemic, which means, you know, I had low blood volume, and I basically was dehydrated, too, because I was throwing everything up for hours and hours and Mm -hmm. hours. And so she just suggested that I, you know, re-up on my iron and liquid chlorophyll and drink a lot of fluids, which I did. Um, And so basically, and she said, don't do anything. Don't, you know, just use the bathroom, do what you have to do as far as that goes, but don't be like walking around and changing the baby's diaper, like just literally stay in bed. Yeah. And so I, 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 that's what I did. And so that was Monday, you know, and I was in bed all day Monday and by Tuesday, 5 PM, I was walking around my house you know, very slowly, but I was walking. Um, and so I was able to recover from that postpartum shock experience on my own. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily recommend everyone do that, you know, but that's what I felt comfortable doing. And she eventually said, she was like, you know, if we had called an ambulance, all they would have done is hooked you up to an IV. And by the time you got to the hospital, you would have been fine you know, you would have had the fluids that you needed. Mm-hmm. And I think she was prepared. You know, she had the Pitocin in her bag. She had the oxygen. She was prepared to deal with some minor complications. And so because I knew that about her and her scope of practice, I felt comfortable, you know, but if she didn't have any of that stuff, I probably would have gone to the hospital. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, when you said a little postpartum stuff, I'm like, okay, where are we going here? I, was, I wasn't expecting anything even close to resembling that that's wow i'm really glad you shared it though because that's that's real and you know sometimes we think you know baby arrives baby's here and that's it but there's Mm -hmm. there are some things that can pop up even still after and um that's that's wow so how have you processed that emotionally or mentally now on the other side, you know, I, you, you seem confident in how you moved through it. That's amazing. But it, has anything kind of residual popped up in, in the past few months? Not really. I mean, cool. and that's, you know, I think for me at the time going through it, I felt totally in control. And some people might see that as having a traumatic experience, but maybe Chris and my doula were traumatized, but I was fine. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I told you in that email, I was like, I'm on an oxytocin high. I feel good, you know, and I think we talk so much about postpartum depression and anxiety as we should and the baby blues, but no one talks about like being ecstatic after having a baby, you know, and I think that level of ecstasy and just glee 
uh, it, it lasted more than just those few hours after the birth. It lasted for weeks. You know, I think it gave me a surge of, of confidence and creative energy. And I just, you know, nothing really, there was nothing really scary about the postpartum stuff for me because I think my midwives handled it very well. She didn't, she was very careful about the language that she was using. I think if she was like, oh my God, you're bleeding out, then I probably would have had a traumatic experience. But, you know, she was calm, you know, and and she was, she felt like she was in control too, I believe. And so, and the fact that she trusted me to make a decision for myself rather than saying, well, you need to do this and you should do that. You know, that, that's what really made me feel empowered about the whole experience. Wow. And so would we do home birth again? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think. That's, you guys are awesome. This has been such a great conversation. We got into like a lot of nooks and crannies here. This is a fun one. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I can look back on it and laugh at some moments of it, you know, during that process, even though it wasn't a funny event, you Mm -hmm. know, but I don't know. There's some parts that I, you know, it's it's more of a happy laugh, not like I'm laughing at, you know, you or whatever was going on but yeah it was it was it was a really good experience I mean Zena was so like calm and Mm -hmm. just like I don't know like I think like the first two weeks after she was you know born there was nothing like I don't know like there was nothing that bothered me about being a father like a lot of people say oh you're gonna lose sleep oh you're gonna you know it's gonna be terrible blah 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 I mean, but it it was fine for me. Like nothing bothered me about her crying or any of that. Like I was just so at peace with it. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know. I mean, maybe she was just really calm at the beginning too. But it was, it yeah, was, it she was really crazy. only cried when she was hungry. Yeah, and that was it. I mean, she only started like getting fussy like maybe a couple months in, but. Yeah. <laughs> maybe a month, a month in, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, people do say, oh, you're never going to sleep again, or you're not going to sleep at night, right. and all of that, but no one tells you how bomb those naps are. Yeah, those naps are good. <laughs> like, when you actually do sleep, so good. Yeah. And and, the, and they also don't, don't mention that, like, it's your kid. It's okay if you exactly. don't get as much sleep as you normally would. Like, you'll do that for your kid, you know? Like, that's, that's how right. I felt, because we experienced that, too, people, especially the sleep thing. You know, say goodbye to your sleep, right. say goodbye to your freedom. It's like, no, I chose to have a kid. Like, this was something that we yeah. wanted. Like, I- I'm cool with mm-hmm. waking up to do the nap. So, yeah, it's just, right. yeah. You guys are awesome. It's been a lot of fun. So, we've been talking for an hour now. What's baby Zena been up to? Zena, well, so <laughs> we, we started, we, we put her in daycare uh, part time. So we she goes like a couple well, what three times a week mm-hmm. for a couple of a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. So she's she's in daycare now. Nice. Yeah, and I think it's just to help us, you know, be productive as as academics do. You know, I mean, the work doesn't stop. So yeah. right. So, Maya is yeah, in daycare so we, right we now too. <laughs> she's in daycare. Yeah. We got to get her in about twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, so she's in daycare now, and, and yeah, she's good. Awesome. Yeah, she's she's three months now, as we said, and she's amazing. Mm. Yeah, and so are you guys. Thank you so much again for being on the show. We appreciate you. Yeah, we do. Thank, Thank you. you. This was fun. Quick 
note about the Doing It at Home podcast. Matthew and I are not doctors or medical professionals, and nothing we say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. If you have medical or health-related questions, please take them to a trained professional. We're here simply to entertain you with stories and conversations about pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved, Dadages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgins. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Dadages. That's D-A-D-A-G-E-S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.